Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. Hey guys, welcome back to Boston Confidential. Just some housekeeping stuff as we usually do at the outset of each episode. We got a great response from our episode on Ruth Pearson. But man, there is so little information on this case. I felt like I shortchanged it, quite frankly. But it had come to me by way of several listener suggestions. So I went with it and I gave you what I had. But man, why is there so little information on this case? I get it. I heard from some of my corrections and police associates, my network from this show, and they say sometimes there's no information, but come on, man, you don't know if this woman is married. And somebody had written in because I had said I had done a search on obituaries and this woman, a friend of the show, stated that she found her child's obituary, Ruth's daughter's obituary. So she did have at least one daughter. And I don't know when she died and all that, but what the hell? Like, you don't have any information on Ruth's living situation. Was she involved in a relationship? Was she a woman about town? She's driving around in a beautiful car. Man, what the hell? It's just the weirdest thing. If anybody can provide any insight on that case, let me know. And why isn't there an associated reward with that case? It's ludicrous. And also, again, I had mentioned the BPD has a full media unit. It would take you about a half a day to do a little bit of video on this case and get it out to people. I really just don't get the lack of information on it. This has happened to us before, doing stories on Boston Confidential where family members want to keep some of this information hidden. I don't believe that's a good idea either, but you can kind of get their reasoning for doing that, right? For not giving information that they feel is embarrassing. But you can't forgive the police for that. Again, we're ramping up to 50 years. This is going down as an unsolved. Somebody got away with murder. Also, guys, I want to thank the audience. You guys have come to my rescue once again. I got hit pretty hard over that Lindsay Clancy case. And I just wanted to thank everybody. Some people had sent in some pretty nice reviews and some glowing emails, so that made me feel a little bit better. Just because we disagree, guys, doesn't mean I don't like you, and I hope that goes both ways. (laughs) I fear it doesn't, but whatever, we march on. Also, in terms of the audience, again, I want to say thank you. I've developed a hell of a network in the metropolitan Boston area for information, and that's been working really well for the show. So. Thanks again for that. And just putting it out there to the network, I see that Howie Carr is on vacation. If anybody has any pull in that arena, yours truly is certainly looking to fill in for Howie when he goes on vacation. 
down to the Palm Beaches. I'm certainly willing to provide the local voice of Boston crime. And let's get on it. Let's get Boston Confidential on the radio. What do you say? All right. If anybody needs me for anything, case suggestions, you want to tell me I'm mansplaining, feel free. Barry at bostonconfidential.net. That's definitely the best platform. Barry at bostonconfidential.net. Thanks again, guys. All right, guys, we have to jump into the Wayback Machine to 2005. And it doesn't seem that long ago, at least it doesn't to me. But imagine that, that's 18 years ago now. And this awful incident happened in Providence, Rhode Island. This is the case of the needless and heartless murder of Providence Police Detective James Allen. Detective Allen's murder happened on April 17, 2005. But there's a hell of a lot leading up to this homicide that I was completely unaware of. And quite frankly, guys, this homicide was a complete and utter failure of our criminal justice system. I'm going to tell you all about it. Guys, first, let me tell you a little bit about Providence, Rhode Island, if you don't know about it. It's the capital city of Rhode Island. I think everybody who got through fifth grade civics knows that. But it's a great city. And currently, I live kind of equidistant between Providence and Boston. And as such, we go to Providence pretty frequently. It's a great city. It does have city-level problems, no doubt. But there's a lot to do in Providence, especially in the summertime. I don't know if a lot of my listeners have ever attended Water Fire. It's a series of water fires. They light things on fire like the wood on fire in the river that snakes through downtown Providence. And I know I'm not describing it super well, but it's a great time. They have gondolas you can take your date on or a significant other and go through the water fires. They play classical music and people walk all along the canal. Providence is probably one of the best cities in the United States for restaurants. One of my favorite restaurants in Providence is Capriccio's. Italian food, and you can really get no better. I'm not getting paid to say that. It's just a tip to my listeners. We all also know that Providence is the seat of La Casa Nostra in New England. They have that up at Atwell's Ave, or at least it used to be up at Atwell's Ave. Atwell's Ave is also a terrific stroll for restaurants. You couldn't find a bad meal on Atwell's Ave, I think, and it's very lively in the summer. Very good time. Providence is a great time. But Providence has always kind of been seen as Boston's tough little brother. You know what I mean? And I think that kind of holds true. I love the city. It does have some crime problems, naturally, just like any other city. The area around Brown University kind of resembles Beacon Hill. That's a beautiful section. There are several beautiful sections of Providence, and it's a big college town. Like I said, there's Brown University, PC, Providence College. That's a great school. There's a couple others, too. It's a big college town. And I think the credit for Providence's 
revitalization goes to kind of a, a nutty character in Providence's history, Buddy Cianci. He brought in water fires. He brought in a lot of construction downtown. He didn't tolerate a lot of crime downtown. And he kind of cleaned the city up, but he was definitely a Providence political character. Look him up if you want to understand Providence a little bit more. Also, guys, one final recommendation. There's a place on the river there. I forget what that neighborhood's called, but the restaurant is called the Tel Aviv, and it sits right on the river. Great spot to have a drink in the spring or summertime, and they have literally the best selection of cigars I've ever seen anywhere. And you can smoke right out on the deck, and they have bands and music during the warmer months. But inside, is it's a beautiful restaurant as well. So those two places that I named, Capriccio's and Tel Aviv, are probably two of my favorites in Providence. All right, guys. So I guess I'll just take you up to the day of Detective Allen's murder. It's a horrific day. Let me begin on April 16th, 2005, the day before Detective Allen was shot. 84-year-old Madeline Gatta, G-A-T-T-A, was standing outside of her house when she was accosted by someone later identified as 27-year-old Esteban Carpio. Mr. Carpio was driving a red van. It's been described as a minivan and just as a van. So it was not registered to him, but it was a rental registered to his girlfriend. The girlfriend was not present for this assault, but Mr. Carpio appeared to be driving around looking for targets, and he saw this elderly woman. And he gets out of the van and attempts to steal her purse. She has her purse, I believe, in a cross-strap fashion on her shoulder, and she tries to run from this guy. He's a young kid, and he's moving fast, and she tries to run, and she feels a push in the back, and she falls down after which this guy runs off. He appeared to have been trying to take her purse. I mean, this woman is standing right outside of her home, and the push she felt to her back sent her tumbling to the ground. Minutes later, she had discovered that this simply wasn't a push, guys. She had been stabbed directly in the back, kind of near where the strap was for her purse, I believe. Carpio gets back in the van and drives off. She calls the police. The police swarm the area. So, guys, this Carpio, he's later identified as Carpio, was wearing all black. He had concealed his face with a scarf and a hat, so he was not recognizable. That's going to come into play later. Carpio runs in the opposite direction of Miss Gada, a quick-witted neighbor was able to get the license plate of the van that Carpio got into. It was a little ways away. He didn't want it right outside Gada's house, but the neighbor somehow gets the license plate, reports it to the police, and goes back and helps Miss Gada, who by this point is really bleeding. This was a terrible injury to this 84-year-old woman. Imagine that. 
Like when I think of an 84-year-old woman, I think of my mother and my grandmother. She's just standing outside of her house on Swift Street. It's not a bad neighborhood. It's a pretty good neighborhood. And this guy just comes up and tries to steal her purse and he can't get it. He stabs her in the back. Can you imagine that? So guys, Esteban Capio did not own that vehicle. I think I had mentioned that. His girlfriend had rented the vehicle. And she was driven to a job interview, or sort of a job interview, by Carpio in the van. She was the one who had rented this vehicle, and it was registered to her at their joint address. So this interview that the girlfriend was at was at a local restaurant, and it was a job interview to be an escort. I can't imagine what the questions are like at that type of interview, but it was during that time frame, this missing hour or 90 minutes or so during the early afternoon that Carpio went and attacked Miss Gata. So the girlfriend would later testify in open court about being a prostitute and being an escort. At one point, she describes her occupation as a streetwalker, another time as an escort. So she's pretty open about it, or at least was in court during this time frame. So when Esteban Carpio was not there to pick up his girlfriend after the interview, she calls him on the cell phone and says, where are you? I need to be picked up. Esteban says, can you find somebody else to give you a ride? And she gets angry and says, no, pick me up now. I told you what the whole plan was. And he does that, but when he picks her up, he says, we have to bring the van back to the apartment and get another car. And she didn't know why at the time she laid a wood. So something just occurred to me at the distal end of Swift Street, there's a Cello's restaurant, bar, and grill. They're all over Rhode Island, and they're actually pretty good. But there is one right at the end of Swift Street there. I wonder if he dropped her off there and... <laughs> just went on to Miss Gata as soon as he dropped her off. And he knows he's jammed up, that robbery. This was a robbery, guys. It was an armed robbery, assault and battery, probably attempted murder, right? And so the cops are looking for this guy. They're swarming him, right? Because what pisses cops off more than crimes against the elderly? Maybe crimes against children, but the cops were on it pretty quickly. And the neighbor he got the license plate of the rental van. Rental van comes back to her. That's how much this kid cares about anybody, right? His girlfriend's going to be on the hook for this on some level, right? So the attack on Miss Gata happened early afternoon. I don't have a precise time. But later in the afternoon, the cops run Carpio. And I guess they probably did some type of database on his girlfriend, and he shows up as living with her, and they probably run his driver's license, and they find out his Massachusetts driver's license is revoked. He's originally from Boston, and his Rhode Island driver's license was suspended. So the cops head out to the apartment, and they get to the door. The girlfriend tries to tell them he's not home. And I believe these are Providence Patrolman detectives. I don't know if are called in, but it's a pretty significant force at the door. And she tries to tell the cops that Carpio is not home. Cops ain't having it. And eventually they get in 
and Esteban Capio is there. He tries to identify himself by some alias, Bolsonaro Carr, and he said he was a barber from Boston. I guess some of that is true. I think he was a licensed barber at the time, but the cops, I think, had his driver's license photo, but they're probably just looking at it like, okay, kid, yeah, you're Bolsonaro Carr. They convince him to come down to the Providence Public Safety Building. It's the headquarters. I forget what street it is. It's visible from the highway, 95 there. But they get him down there, and that's when they call in detectives. So, guys, one of the detectives who received this call out after Miss Gata was nearly killed, stabbed in the back by a lunatic, a young but career criminal, Esteban Carpio. Detective Allen gets called out. He had been appointed to the Providence Police Department as a patrolman in 1978, and this was 2005, and he had worked his way up from patrol to detective. In a profession full of cynics, it is said that Jimmy Allen was quite the optimist, always a smile on his face, much like his father, people said, who was also on the police department. And the people that Jimmy worked with currently in the 2000s, some of them remembered his dad. So they were kind of a legacy in the Providence PD. He just seemed to be the type of guy who was always upbeat with a joke. He treated suspects and even convicts pretty well, you know, with humanity. And he wasn't a heavy handed type of cop. He'd give a guy a break if he felt it was deserved. But he was there to protect people, make no mistake. And Jimmy Allen was called out from his house at about 7 p.m. on April 17th, 2005. He had already worked a day shift and had gotten out of work about 4 p.m., it is stated by his wife, Marge, that he had stopped to grab a hot dog. And it's kind of a big deal in Rhode Island, if you don't know, this Onlyville system. They claim it to be very unique to New York and Rhode Island. There's a big connection between New York and Rhode Island somewhere down the line. But they do have these amazing hot dogs, the Onlyville system. I don't know how to describe it. It's fantastic. It was said to be. Jimmy Allen's favorite snack, you know, so he had a, like a light dinner before he headed on home. He gets home to Marge about 7 p.m. He gets called out again. He lived in Johnston with his wife and two daughters at the time, and the phone rings about 7 p.m., and guys, that's the call out. He needs to go investigate Madeline Gada's stabbing, attempted murder, really. So he says to his wife, Marge, on the way out the door, I'll see you when I see you. Kind of like a flippant offhand remark, you know, we all make it to our spouses. And it kind of haunted Marge. She says now she'll never say that to anybody again. But they did kiss goodbye, and he walked out the door to work to serve the people of Providence in Rhode Island in general. So, guys, Johnston is about five or six miles from Providence. It's a neighboring community. It's a nice town, kind of middle class, blue collar, well-kept homes, 
and just a nice area. And Jimmy Allen was in Providence at the headquarters, probably, I don't know, 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes after he left the house. And he gets briefed on what the patrolman and other detectives had done thus far on Madeline Garda's stabbing. And I believe some of the cops went to the hospital with Miss Garda, but Jimmy Allen and another detective were at police headquarters and they put Esteban Carpio not in an interrogation room, but in a conference room. And during this time, they let Carpio know, we know your true identity. We know your phony name was just that, an attempt to deceive like most of this guy's life was. So they told him, listen, we know your full name. We know what you did. We have a witness to what you did. You are in the vehicle. So they kind of just lay it out for him, you know. And at a certain point, they're talking and Jimmy Allen sits down next to him and the other detective has to get up and leave the room. Now, remember, this isn't a secure area. It's a conference room rather than an investigative. They call it the box. You probably see it on TV where they have video recording and all this. The conference room did not have that. I think this was kind of like a pre-interview, a pre-interrogation, get-to-know-you session. So the other detective walks from the room, and Carpio starts getting agitated. And Jimmy Allen can see this, and he's an expert at talking people down, and he seemingly does so. But out of nowhere, this Esteban Carpio seems to get amped up again, and after the Second detective leaves. It's just Carpio and Detective Allen in the room. Carpio gets up and starts to assault Detective Jimmy Allen. So if you're familiar with Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. That's exactly what happened here in this conference room at the Providence Police Headquarters. Jimmy Allen starts to wrestle with this 27-year-old kid and Carpio starts to get the better of him. And as he does so, Carpio reaches to the door and locks it. The other detective comes back and he can hear the fight going on. And at a certain point, other cops come and they start to attempt to get into the room. And they're calling Jimmy Allen's name. And that's when they hear two shots in quick succession. Then they hear a third shot. And by the time they get into this room, Carpio had fled through a window that he had shot out. It was either in the conference room or the room next door. But Carpio had broken the window and he had shot Detective Allen twice. Both of these shots were fatal, guys. And I don't know what these Providence cops were thinking because in 1993, there was a police officer by the name of Tommy Rose who was working the downtown precinct A1 in Boston. And during that time, Tommy Rose was also overpowered by a person in custody and they used his sidearm, his gun against him and fatally shot him to death. And after this, all cops, and I thought this was nationwide, were required to leave their firearms outside of any interrogation or conference room. And to be honest with you, 
Jimmy Allen had on what they call a pancake holster, which doesn't have any safety features attached. When you see a patrolman on the street, right, he's got safety features attached to his holster. So if you're not in the police community, you're probably unlikely to get that gun out of a patrolman's holster. Not so with this pancake holster. It's just holding it to your side. And this guy, Esteban Capio, was crazy enough to grab a gun. So, man, this was Murphy's Law all over the place. And it's just kind of shocking, especially in light of the killing of Patrolman Tommy Rose in Boston's A1 precinct in 93. So, Capio shoots the window out, guys. This guy's just a nut. He's a complete nut. He shoots the window out and hangs from the window at the public safety building. It's like three stories high. People see him do this, and they're watching him hang from the window, lets himself go. He falls the three stories, does injure himself, but he springs back up, runs away down towards the highway. And if you know where the public safety building is, and I'm sorry, I can't give you a street address, but you can see it from the street as you're driving into Providence on Route 95. It's right there. And Capio ran over one of these overpasses. So now, guys, it is mayhem at the Providence Police Headquarters, right? This guy had just escaped, and he brutally shot and killed Jimmy Allen. There were two shots, one to the clavicle, and I believe one to the head. And both shots were reported. They would have both been fatal. And this nut just jumps out the window. And by the time he hits the ground and crosses the overpass, he's got too much of a head start for the cops because they don't even really know where to look. It's stunning. Like, this is a stunning turn of events at a police station. Somebody shoots a cop in the station and jumps out the window. So this guy got a pretty decent head start. And by the time the cops headed that way, Capio was nowhere to be seen. Capio does make it to a friend's house or apartment in Providence. And this friend would later testify that Esteban Capio arrived, you know, sweating bullets, talking almost incoherently. And after a little back and forth, Capio asked this person to call a taxi that was going to take him either to New York City or Boston. Capio wouldn't tell the friend what the problem was, but I'm sure this friend wanted to get rid of him, so he does call the taxi cab. And the call was a little weird to the taxi company, and the dispatcher kind of took note of it. The person on the other end says this person has $500 and wants to go to either Boston or New York City. The cab driver gets dispatched to it, and he's thinking, geez, do I want to take this long fare? It'll probably be the only thing I have all night. And, you know, as a taxi driver, you don't get the full boat. You get a percentage of the fares. So as he's driving to the address he's dispatched to, he sees this swarm of police. The city is going insane looking for Carpio. And this guy kind of puts it together, the taxi driver. So as he's driving, he flags down a Providence cop and he tells him about this weird call. And it was kind of dangerous, I think. They had this guy, the taxi, go to the address where Capio was staying, you know, where he was. 
and the cops followed with him. And as Carpio comes out to get into the taxi, they try to handcuff him. Carpio takes off. Three or four cops follow in pursuit, and they catch up to him. And Carpio naturally resists with everything he has. And ultimately, he's subdued after a big struggle. The cops had to tune this guy up a little bit. And I believe members of the FBI were actually present at the arrest, believe it or not. So there were a ton of witnesses. It would later be revealed that a detective from the Rhode Island State Police by the last name of Zarella punched Esteban Carpio three times in the face, and it looks like he hit him directly in the nose. And this was par for the course. This was a violent felon attempting to escape after shooting a police officer in the station, in the head, and in the chest. And now he wants to hurt more police officers. Thanks to this guy, Zarella, who was a big guy, he was unable to do so. And the state of Rhode Island was lucky to have Zarella on the scene because he was a big man. He'd later testify against Carpio. But when Carpio is brought into the area where he's being arraigned, the courthouse, he is in like a mask, which I think is usually used for spitting because this guy was so vile. But he was beaten pretty badly. I think Zarella hit this guy right in the bridge of the nose three times and probably knocked him senseless, right? And that caused immense black eyes. And I'm going to put these photographs in the show notes. When this guy Capio comes into the courtroom, his family and everybody in there loses it, right? Like he's been tortured by the police. Come on. Quite frankly, he was lucky to be walking upright at all. But that was the big kerfuffle in this case. And I hate to say it, even when this case happened, Jimmy Allen was kind of forgotten because that image of Esteban Capio was broadcast all over the world. And it implied the police had done something untoward in taking him into custody. I don't believe that to be the case. The FBI later investigated the case and the arrest and found no wrongdoing on any police officer. I think you have to chalk Esteban Carpio's injuries up to F around and find out, and Carpio found out. Somewhere, somehow, people wanted sympathy for this guy after shooting Jimmy Allen in the head. I mean, what the hell? Actually, the restraint the police officers showed was remarkable in this case. And how do you find any fault with them, really? This guy resisted arrest. He could have gave it right up at the taxi cab and nothing would have happened to him. But he wanted to get it on, and he did, and he paid the price. But Mr. Carpio paid a discounted price. The person who paid full price in this exchange is Detective Jimmy Allen. And what was all this for so Esteban Carpio wouldn't pay the price for stabbing an 84-year-old woman, right? He needed to get out of that room. What was going to happen when he did? Same type of thing. They're just going to find you. The kid's an idiot, right? It would come out later that Esteban Carpio was on a crime spree from the year 2000 to 2005. He had been arrested, guys. 15 times 
from the year 2000 to 2005, and he was 27 years old. How do you avoid going to jail? This is the problem we have in the criminal justice system today, and I'm just going to highlight it a little bit. This guy was making a living off being a criminal, and we do wonders with data analysis right now in terms of business. Why can't that be applied to the criminal justice system? Because it should come up before a judge. The last judge that saw this, the 15th time he had been arrested since the year 2000, should have said, hey, no, no, no. Brother, you're making a living out of crime, and you need to be in jail because the last 14 times you refused to change your ways. That would have prevented a murder. There's very few people who commit crime after crime. It's a small number of repeat offenders. The old way of doing things, when you wanted to reduce crime, and you could do the same thing today, it's a recipe that's never failed. You focus on repeat offenders by keeping them in prison and juvenile offenders because they're especially violent. We did that in the crime bill of the 1990s, and crime plummeted. It's back up today because we got away from those policies. If Esteban Capio had been sentenced to prison for four or five years, I don't know, maybe at his 12th arrest in just a few years, that would have saved the life of Jimmy Allen. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to see that. There's very few people who commit crimes in a serial manner. And this guy was one of them. And if you focus on them, this guy was a human crime wave. Some of them were felonies, some of them were violent, but he was living the life of a gangster, right? 15 arrests in under a five-year span and nobody looks around and says, this guy's trajectory is going towards hurting people. He stabs Madeline Gata, 84 years old, and then kills a policeman. If he had just taken care of his previous offenses, right, there wouldn't have been any homicide, and even Carpio would have benefited from that because he would have got out of the joint and onto a life. Hopefully, it snaps him the hell out of it, the prison sentence, right? It's just silly. The way we run our criminal justice system is just silly today. I'm sorry. And let me tell you, Esteban Carpio had no fear of it. No fear whatsoever of the system. Didn't care. He didn't care about Madeline Gata, and he didn't care about Detective Allen. And guys, this case is heartbreaking because you look at Jimmy Allen's life, right? He bought a small house after he got married. He had been married for 27 years to his wife, Marge. And he had two daughters at the time, Jennifer and Caitlin. They lived in a small house. When they needed more money, Jimmy went to work part-time as security at Whole Foods to support his family while he was a Providence police detective. No police officer, no detective should be paid so little that they have to do that. But Jimmy Allen saw a need and he filled it with work, okay, so he could support his family. Esteban Capio saw a need for money and instead of going to work at Whole Foods like Jimmy Allen had in the past, he tries to steal a purse from an 84-year-old woman, and when she fights him on it, he stabs her in the back. 
So there's a complete dichotomy of the level of these people, right? So the only defense Esteban Capio had was insanity, and he did have some past instances of mental health problems relatively recently. His mother had taken him for treatment, I believe, in Boston. He was treated at the Faulkner Hospital, and Faulkner Hospital had a diagnosis, I believe, of he did have some mental health issues, but they were being exacerbated by heavy substance abuse. He was also, I believe, admitted to a Providence hospital or Providence area hospital at one point because of some mental health issues. But I hate to say it, but boo-hoo. And again, guys, what was all this for? Yeah, there was an attempted robbery, and I'm going to call it an attempted murder of Madeline Gata, right? But this is the Northeast. I know Rhode Island is similar to Massachusetts and how lenient we are with criminals. How much time do you think he would have gotten for that crime against Madeline Ghana? I don't know. He probably would have served two years. Two years, he wraps it up. But that would have prevented this homicide, right? And what about the five crimes before that? What if he had done a year in the can? That saves Madeline Ghana and Jimmy Allen. So that's what happens when we just defer punishment after crime, after crime, after crime. You're on probation, continued without a finding, suspended sentence. If that Jamoke was in prison, nobody else would have got hurt. So Esteban Capio's insanity claims at trial naturally didn't go anywhere. He was convicted of the crimes against Madeline Gata and the murder of Detective James Allen. And the sentences were imposed to run consecutively. And he's never getting out of prison. So that's good news. And the last I checked, which was last week, this goofball was still in maximum security prison. And that just indicates to me that he's not behaving himself in the joint. But that's the only redeeming factor here, that he is still in maximum security. If it was Massachusetts, he'd be in medium security by now. There's a terrific article that I'll put in the show notes. It is in the Providence Journal, and it's entitled 10 Years in a Lifetime by Mark Patinkin of the journal, and it is extremely well written, and I encourage you to read it. It really Gives you a picture of Jimmy Allen's life. This case is just heartbreaking all around, guys. I mean, even for Capio, Marge Allen, Jimmy's wife, said she was okay with him getting this life sentence. I think he was 27 or 28 when he was sentenced, and she's okay with him serving life. Apparently, the daughters are not. They wanted something more, but... We don't have the death penalty here in the Northeast, and this guy certainly would have deserved capital punishment for this case. It's just heartbreaking. This kid probably wouldn't have done three years for the assault or attempted murder of Madeline Gata, and he just couldn't do the time. It's just horrible. All right, guys, I think that's all I have for you. I'll get on to the next one, and I'll see you on the flip side. Mm -hmm.